Hi everyone, I'm Chase Raz, and this is Multi New Media for the week of November 30th, 2015. With me today is Christopher Woodward. Christopher, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm recovering from the gluttony that was Thanksgiving. So I, I know the feeling. Uh, as you and I have talked previously offline, uh, I've been doing the whole ketogenic thing, which is extremely low carb, and lost 55 pounds doing it. So Thanksgiving is difficult turning down some of those foods, but... Uh, it's not as difficult as it as as it may you know appear um, to those who haven't done it yet. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, well, I think I put on fifty five pounds this week, so it all balances. I I know the feeling. That doesn't change no matter what type of uh, lifestyle or diet or whatever you're in. That that feeling of weight gain around any of the holidays happens. So uh, today we're here to talk about a, a um, something that's very near and dear to our hearts. I think and. Um, I ho- hopefully it is to our listeners as well because we want to have fun with this topic, but I don't want to steal your thunder because you came up with this idea. You called me about it and you said, hey, what about this for a show topic? And it made me smile from ear to ear. So let me have you introduce uh, today's topic to everyone who's uh, listening. Well, some of you may recall we did a show uh, a while back where you and I looked at science fiction technology, science fiction inventions that it actually come to pass, things that once were only a part of movies and television, but that are reality for us today. So my thought was, well, what about the other side of the coin? What about science fiction technologies and science fiction inventions that we've seen in movies and television, but that haven't happened yet, ones that we still have not obtained? And I thought it'd be fun not only to kind of talk about the inventions and the technology that hasn't occurred yet, but also maybe discuss a little bit the the feasibility of whether they will ever happen or if it's strictly uh, a fantasy idea that will always remain movies and television for us. And and again, this makes me smile ear to ear. I love this topic because not only is it related to media and technology and education and all the things we do on a daily basis and as a part of this show, but it's so future-oriented, and that is the purpose of all of this, isn't it? It is. It's about the future. It's about technology. And, and I, I, too, enjoy doing these episodes because we kind of get to blend some of our fandom of uh, sci-fi with obviously discussing real technology and, and the possibility of items. So, you know, if you don't mind, I'll kick us off with the very first one. Yeah. How many, how many did you come up with? We, we haven't talked about that before. I, uh, I got quite a list here. I got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine... I got about 10 here. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to start us. I have a list of about six, and some of mine are pretty obvious. So, yeah, go for it. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to stick, and we should point out, I'm trying to stick with things that are sci-fi based. Uh, you know, I stayed away from things like infinite data processing. You know, <laughs> this, this is not about, you know, technology and, you know, the idea of uploading your brain necessarily. Right, that, that's that for be... the convenience of the television and movie producers who are like, yeah, yeah, we don't have time to work out how this will actually do it. Just make it to where it's in the future and everything is uh, unlimited. But uh, so we're going to kick things off with, again, keep it on the sci-fi track. I'm going to go with one that, yeah, whether, whether you watch Back to the Future, whether you watch The Jetsons, I'm going to talk about flying cars. And, and I want to point out, because I can already, I can hear somebody pecking out an email already. When I talk about flying cars, I'm talking about real flying cars, not rotable air vehicles. I'm not talking about, I'm sorry, if you have to go to the airport with your vehicle and make a flight plan, it's not a flying car. It's, it's a, a plane. tiny plane. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm talking about the idea that you just go outside, 
get in your vehicle, elevate up into the stratosphere and get to fly to your destination and blend it down and, you know, not airports, flight plans, anything like that. We're talking Jetsons style or uh, uh, those that actually watched Star Wars episode one, two, and three, those kind of flying cars and traffic in the air. Oh, you know that you did. Kind, I did. I did. Uh, that kind of flying car. Do we have the technology for this to ever happen? I think yes, but obviously we're still a long ways off from it becoming a reality right now. You know, I love that one. I don't think we have the technology right now. Uh, I, I think we will. And, and I, you know, I don't know if I'm going from the same angle that you are on this, but I, personally, based on the, the science that I read in the news, I'm not a scientist. Uh, maybe you have a secret life as a scientist, but I don't think you are uh, either. We're, we're, we're educators, we're futurists, we're technologists. Um, all the things that we are, but what I what I keep seeing is that we may be very, very, very close to a break of um, of better understanding gravity. I mean, if you follow any of the science out there, that understanding that gra- gravity may not be localized within our universe alone, and and finding the Higgs boson, and understanding that there may be multiple of them, all these things. If we get that one little crack to understanding what gravity is we may be that much closer to anti-gravity and that's where i think we're going to get the jetsons style the star wars style uh hovering vehicle i I agree i mean i I think it's a possibility again if you look at the idea of it being a mass-produced item where everybody has a flying car in their garage we're much further off I think a working model is possible but again the flying car is such a staple of sci-fi and technology and cartoons that um, I, it's one that immediately popped into my mind after thinking up the topic for this program today. I, th- I think it's a great one. Um, do you want to move into a second one since your list is, is much more robust than mine? Sure. I'll do another one. It kind of ties in a little bit. Um, the jetpack. Now, again, yes, we have jetpacks. There's jetpacks, but they last you know, maybe about five minutes. And if you want to go any further, you need a lot of fuel and then the jetpack gets bigger and pretty much you're back to being in a plane again. I'm talking about a jetpack like in the GI Joe cartoons of the eighties where you could fly up and, you know, peg off bad guys from the Cobra commander and stuff. And then, you know, land, fly again. I'm talking sci-fi style jetpack, not, Take off, go in the air, go a couple of feet like uh, the fall guy. I'm, I'm referencing a lot of 80s stuff today, people. So have have your YouTube and Wikipedia ready for all these 80s references. You know, I'm talking about an actual jetpack where you could use it to fly a good distance, land, and then reuse it to fly back again. Not just take a one-way trip that lasts, you know, five or six minutes and then you're out of fuel. So a, a, a working, transporting jetpack. Have you ever used any of the the modern available jetpacks? Uh, I have not had a chance to use any of them. So I, I was wondering. Videos, yeah, I was wondering if you've ever done one of those water jetpacks, right? That have the hose that goes down into an ocean or a lake, right? And you're kind of behind a boat or whatever for safety, I guess, and and it's shooting water out. I, I've always wanted to try one of those. I, I would love to try, and, and at some point, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna go you know what i need to go check that out and actually do it this time but again so just just to clarify i don't want to tie this into the flying cars thing i'm talking about sustainable 
personalized air travel, I guess, is what I'm talking about here. That doesn't involve an airport. Right. No, I think I think it's an important designation or, or rather separation between those two because the jetpack to the flying car, uh, if we were taking the SATs all over again, would be um, analogous to a Segway to a actual, you know, car that we have today. I mean, there there is that that much of a difference, I think. There is, I think. So, I'm a little... again, I, I wouldn't say obviously not as cool as the uh, as the flying car, but jetpack is number two on my list of technologies, and one that I do think we will see. You know, at some point, maybe not in everybody's backyard, but but again, the technology is there. It just needs to be worked on, perfected, and made feasible for for more people to have. Ah, uh, I'm in for it here because my list is nowhere near as interesting as yours. Um, I have to start absolute basic don't laugh at me please when i say this um i i came to this of sci-fi moments inventions technologies situations that have yet to happen and um the first thing i thought of was huh we haven't met any aliens I know it's That's broad. Just point. trust me. Don't worry. The rest of my list isn't that broad. But I think that is such a critical point in so many sci-fi franchises. Now, not everyone. Um, if we look at Firefly, you know, there weren't alien species there. Everybody was human. Uh, and we can we can find others where we we have that same list. But so many parts of science fiction relate to alien, intelligent alien life form. Um, cinematically, we make them all look humanoid. But um, but really, I think that moment right there is going to be a major moment for humanity when we know, for not just statistically, but when we know for certain that we are not alone in what other life in the universe looks like. Yeah, when you really think about it, I mean, it's like a total bummer because, you know, man has discovered, you know, life in the deepest, darkest reaches of the ocean. Man has discovered life forms buried beneath the ground man has found life forms you know in the trees in the air but then you go into space and you know i mean we would be let's be honest if we found a plant on a planet you know a sustainable plant mind probably blowing. Do, we would do cartwheels yeah you know within my <laughs> lifetime right with the feasibility of this within my lifetime i would settle and i would honestly be happy and um to know that we have found bacteria or something similar, you know, bacteria, fungus, maybe even viruses, although hopefully they're not bad for us. Uh, if we find those on other planets or moons within our solar system, um, that would just, I mean, that would give me the confidence um, in my own life to say all of those statistics that we've talked about of how probable it is that there is intelligent uh, extraterrestrial life somewhere around us in our portion of the Milky Way galaxy. That would make me um, just absolutely thrilled. I think that's a cool one. I don't think that's bad at all. I, I dig that. Because you're right, a big crux of sci-fi is, I mean, Star Trek. You know, it's based on him going out in new life forms, new civilizations. You know, Star Wars, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there's aliens. There's, I mean, the day the Earth stood still. I mean, there's just all of this is, you know, Aliens, you know, some sort of intelligent life out there. And it's hard to somewhere out there. It can't only be us. There has to be more. And and I, that's absolutely true. And, and you know, um, I, I think the 
wisdom and inspiration of Carl Sagan that we got before his passing. Um, and not to mention people like Frank Drake with the Drake Equation who came up with, uh, you know, sort of a mathematical model of how many intelligent species are there likely to be within our galaxy. Um, I mean, you know, I read the books by Frank Drake and um, these I wouldn't say that they're necessarily uh, idols for me, but I, I, I certainly do admire them in their careers. Oh, I do, too. And, and again, you know, there's some theories I agree with, some theories I think are a little out there. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. You know, the idea, though, that there has to be some, there has to be a, 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 the equivalent of an earthworm on one of these planets, and we got to find it. So, As long as it's uh, not like Dune. No, yeah, no Dune. No Dune. Yeah. And none of those things from uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, that crawl into Oh, the, the earwig. Th- oh, no. Oh, give me That's chills so just thinking yeah. about it. You know? Um, yeah, I'm going to tie in one of mine. That, that it, It's not aliens, but it, it's, it's close to it. Instead of finding life in space... How about conducting your life in space? And when I say life in space, I don't mean sticking some people on a space station that are astronauts and physicists and whatnot. I'm talking about life in space, like neighborhoods in space, blue-collar jobs in space. Uh, I'm going to use a, a warped example, but, you know, space balls. I'm going to use an example. You know, there's a truck stop in space. You land your spaceship, you fuel up, you have a bite to eat before you go on to your next planet. You know, settlements in space. Oh, I, I know, love Spaceballs, by the way, and that scene is amazing. The diner out in the middle of, of nowhere. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm glad you brought that up. It's so awesome. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actual settlements in space, you know, where, where mom, dad, and the kids, they live on Mars. And, you know, he goes to school on Mars. And, you know, this whole idea of settling space, you know, having, you know, space stations that people actually live and work at. And, again, not just scientists, not just military personnel. I'm talking about blue-collar jobs in outer space, neighborhoods in outer space, that whole idea of settling space, having cities on other planets. You know, again, a lot of sci-fi, a lot of comic books would reference that kind of thing. I just think that would be awesome. And again, it's a matter of, do we have the technology to sustain life in outer space? Yes, but obviously we've got a ways to go before we can actually have permanent settlements that aren't just people, quote-unquote, visiting for a while. Yeah, and I hope somebody can send this up to um, Scott Kelly. I mean, uh, you know, our astronaut, U.S. astronaut, um, he spent the longest amount of time in space. He just broke that record um, last month, I think, sometime in October. Uh, He's been up there for over a year. Um, I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know what the length of the total. I I guess I could Wikipedia it or something really quickly. But Scott Kelly is um, speaking of. Um, idols and uh, heroes. Scott Kelly, I think, um, you know, he's a retired uh, Navy captain. Um, uh, just uh, one of our, our true national treasures when it comes to American heroes. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's awesome. I mean, what, what, what was the old record? I don't even remember now. Um, you know, I, I don't know. In fact, I'm looking at Wikipedia now when I, when I said I should look him up on Wikipedia here, it says in October, 2015, he set the record for total amount of days, uh, spent in space, uh, by an American astronaut, which is 382 is the number it gives there. I don't know. I mean, obviously he, you know, can't have spent more than 30 more than that up here to this point, because we're not even a full month after that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how long that mission is scheduled to last. Awesome. 
So uh, we'll look it up and we'll get the answer. But uh, Life in Space, obviously, another one of mine off my list. Uh, do you want me to do another or do you want to have me do two in a row again? Um, I'll go. I'll go ahead and do one here. Um, because I'm I'm still starting pretty simple and I'm I'm ramping up. Can you tell I'm getting that feeling of ramping up? Uh, so not only have we not met aliens, and like you said, we're not even living in space truly for more than about a year or a year and change of time, uh, and that's one or two individuals. But here's a big one for me, and sorry if I'm stealing it from you, but we have yet to do anything that's going to get us near to or past the speed of light. That is on my list. Faster than light travel is on my list. And that is just one that for sci-fi to happen is absolutely required. right? Like I mentioned before, with space aliens, you don't have to have space aliens to have sci-fi. You don't have to necessarily be living in space to have sci-fi. But to have sci-fi and not have faster than, than light travel, is it necessary? No, but without it, it feels kind of boring, doesn't it? Call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it, you know, jumping into hyperspace. You can call it warp speed. You can call it a stargate. You can call it, but go through all of it. Go through Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, The Last Starfighter, you know, every cheesy 80s star crash. There's a cheesy one for you folks, by the way. I'm going to have to look that one up now. YouTube star crash. Featuring a very young David Hasselhoff when he was David Hasselhoff, not David Hoff. And uh, check Hoff. out one of, one of the all-time cheesiest-looking Italian-made sci-fi films. What was it called? Uh, Star Crash. Oh. And, and believe it or not, they got Christopher Plummer to be in it from The Sound of Music and so many other amazing films. They even paid him to come be in this dreadful sci-fi movie. But I, I, I digress. Oh, they have a trailer. Yeah. Oh no! Oh, they do. It's blocked. They do. I was going to play the audio, but I'm I'm going to let that one go because I'm not quite sure it is the official trailer, and I don't want to. I don't want to do that to people. Uh, but faster than light speed. I mean, yeah, that that's such a big part of sci-fi, and that is on my list too. And that is one that can we ever obtain that? I I don't know. <laughs> would you explode? Would you? Would your molecules melt if you went faster than the speed of light? Um, well, you know what? This is interesting. I'm vastly more optimistic than you are in this field um i absolutely think i won't say believe because i don't want to make this a belief thing i absolutely think that one day physicists will work out a way to make to take matter and go faster than light um and i'm talking you know multiple atoms life spaceship whatever um whether we're going to use a warp bubble like um nasa is currently working on based on some research back from the 90s um, again, we, we do have to think about this. We were talking about Scott Kelly before, but NASA is not just looking at year long or longer missions to how are people going to handle, you know, a space flight to Mars and back, but we're also looking, uh, as far as NASA is concerned at literally creating the first warp bubble that would let a, a ship or a person or an object kind of move through the universe um, not actually moving faster than light, but getting the universe to move around it faster than the speed of light. That is active research that U.S. taxpayer money is going into. And that, you know, to some people, they go, they raise fists and, ah, oh, to, to hell with that. And to me, it just makes me so happy. It makes my heart feel nice and warm. Not in the medical emergency way either. But uh, I definitely believe 
I didn't want to use that word, but there I did. I definitely think and believe that we will go faster or at the speed of light at some point. There's got to be some wonderful loophole in this uh, universe we just haven't figured out. And, um, you know, I'll swear by it. Well, I'm going to switch off now from something that, like you said, there's possibilities, there's loopholes. This one, there is no loophole. This one, absolutely, and I will state it now, will never happen. It is impossible for this to happen, and that is time travel. And I hear, I can hear all the Doctor Who fans and people, oh, there's going to be time. No, there is not time travel. It is not possible to go back in time. There is no ribbon floating through the galaxy that you can jump through and it will mess up the space-time <laughs> continuum. It's not happening. There's no DeLorean that if you hit 88 miles an hour is going to send you back in time. There is no Bill and Ted's excellent adventure phone booth that you can pop into and land different places and go back in time. There's no Land of the Lost with slee stacks and all. No. Time travel, <laughs> Voyagers, <laughs> Voyagers with the compass and the red and the green light. I'm pulling out every 80s and 70s reference I got on this one. It is not going to happen. Time travel is strictly a dream and a fantasy of the sci-fi world. But what a wonderful dream and what a wonderful fantasy it is to think that you could actually be able to go back in time or go ahead to see the future, to see the past. Impossible. Cannot happen. But, wow, what an awesome device for use in sci-fi films and movies and books. Well, Christopher, since you set that up so nicely, maybe you could tell us if you think uh, time travel is possible or not. <laughs> I'm going to say, no, it's just not possible. All right, so from the research that I've seen over the past several years, I think you're right. But here's what I have seen, is that some physicists have said, all right, we can travel into the future. And you're like, well, <laughs> You know, really? We know that. We do that all the time. But from my understanding, what they mean is we could potentially someday devise some system and maybe say, okay, we can take you from this point to that point in the future, but we can't do that in reverse. So once you're there, you'd be there. I'm not very optimistic. I'm, I'm almost as optimistic as you are about that happening. However, I think there's a loophole in the universe. What I mean by that is so many physicists right now are talking about alternate or parallel universes. Now, forget this whole idea. Um, you know, I'm not a I'm I'm not a scientist again, but let's go for logic, right? Logic is something I'm I'm arguably pretty good at. Let's go to the idea of infinity. That there are an infinite number of universes, uh parallel universes to this one, or there's an infinite universe that we live in. All of that doesn't make any sense. Right? The concept of infinity uh, there's, yeah, anyway, I'll spare that, I'll spare you for that, and, and that'll be another time, but the loophole that some physicists think that they have is, what if you could jump, you could materialize an alternate universe, but materialize it to an alternate time, and I think that's kind of where some people are looking at the loophole, but then at that point, the average person, including myself, goes, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about anymore, so let's put that in the impossible category. Yeah, well, here's the whole thing. If there is a parallel universe, is it like 
evil chase and no. evil Christopher? Or, or like, do we have goatees automatically, like in that Star Trek episode? The way Dr. Michio, uh, Dr. Michio Okaku talks about it, and, and trust me, he, he's one of my only sources for this that I know. And I know everybody knows him and they have access to all of his, um, they have access to his show and his books. But he talks about, uh, and I don't even understand what this means from a mathematical or physical level, uh, universes that are out of phase with our universe and that different things may have happened in them. But that doesn't mean that they're real and that they exist there. It's that somehow we could tap into it. I, you know, it's it's kind of like this, um, it's almost like a Zen Buddhist uh, view of the world that the entire universe is made up of potential. It's potential realizing itself. And if you take that view of it, it makes a little bit more sense of, mm, okay, we could materialize some alternate reality where that was how the potentiality turned out, but that doesn't make it real. Um, again, I, my mind is not, I have a very open mind, but it's not big enough and it's not open enough to get my head around anything to talk intelligibly about time travel. But just to spite you, for fun, not not literally. Well, I, I'm sorry, I'm still We'll find a way. I'm just amazed that you pronounced that guy's name. So that just blew my mind. Dr. Michio Okaku? See, the fact that you did it again. That, I, I was actually drinking water when I said it that time, so I messed up a little bit, but hey, that's okay. I mean, it took you 20 minutes to get a show open done today, but you managed to get that in. So. Oh, for all the people who, who, you know, you're listening right now, you think, what are they talking about? We had to do about four or five takes just for me to say hello uh, at the beginning. I was having a very interesting night. Well, obviously, the universe was not aligned properly for you to say hello at that point. So you don't, so you don't think time travel is possible. Um, no. I'm going to tie in with time travel and speed of light. And talk about teleporting life. Teleporting. Transporter. That's on my list. Yeah, transporter from Star Trek. Teleporter from almost every single other sci-fi franchise you can find. Um, uh, uh, wow, I'm, st- I'm stuttering. Oh, God, I can't even do it. I got you. You know why now. I can't do it? And I'm going to keep all this in. I'm not even editing that out because, Christopher, you're the reason for it. I'm trying to say the reimagined Battlestar Galactica, and I hear you screaming at me as soon as I say that. Because it sucked. That's one of the best visions. Anyway. Female Starbuck. No. Which, she was awesome. No. She was kick-ass. Not Dark Benedict. See, for everyone listening, I'll, 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 I won't torture you with this anymore, but Christopher and I have a different opinion on the reimagined uh, Battlestar Galactic. Battlestar Galactic. See, I can't even say it around you. I get so nervous. Um, that's from the early 2000s. Um, so whether you call it transporter teleporter ftl jump whatever which essentially isn't an ftl jump like stargate like a quantum teleportation across the universe um we know that teleportation is possible we as a species have teleported photons we've teleported atoms um the next step would be um some type of molecule and then hopefully and this is what i'm hoping for within my lifetime i want to see a virus teleported now, a virus, why? Because it's the simplest form of life, and that's the first form of life that scientists would try to teleport. So if we get a virus and we can teleport it, and it comes out the other end intact, doing its thing, then we have good reason to believe that we could teleport a cell. And that would just, I mean, we could drop a microphone and, and walk off stage there, because then we get to do exactly what we talk about doing to Captain Kirk and Captain Picard, and hey, saying, all right, you where you're at right now, go ahead and die, and we'll rematerialize you somewhere else. 
Or we could look at the you know example, and we have to be careful with this technology because let's not forget the example set forth by Dr. Brundle when he was using his teleporter and that fly got caught in there. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, huh? You know, now see how many people are going to be looking that one up. But um, yeah, I, I think it, yeah we have the technology now. The idea of teleporting, you know, obviously the human being and being able to have it reappear in the proper format, so to speak, not have the molecules and the atoms all messed up, that's going to be key. But I, I think you hit on a great point there, though. Step one, you know, what's the simplest form that we can try to teleport? And you start from there and then you build off of that. And absolutely, that's what we're doing. Oh, I know that within the next couple of decades, we'll have components of the internet that are using quantum de uh, teleportation of data. And uh, we, we know that's imminent in um, information technology. And I don't mean imminent like five years or so. I mean 50 maybe. Um, but at that point, you know, if we calculate up from there, we do think we have a pretty good estimate of when we would have a computer powerful enough to teleport a human being because of all of our what is it, trillions of cells? And listen, you don't want to teleport somebody piece by piece. If I no. teleport your arm first and the rest of you is there, you feel your arm being disconnected and severed. Right? And this is how um, I wasn't joking before when I said, you know, when you're watching television and you see Captain Kirk teleported, they're killing him in one spot and rematerializing him out of other material at the other end. So the, the soonest... Um, from what I hear from physicists and technologists is that we will not have a computer, a singular computer, powerful enough to teleport a human being until likely 150 years or so from now. Maybe a little should, less because that data I got is a few years old. And we should point out you know, the transporter not working properly in Star Trek The Motion Picture is one of the many, many reasons why that movie sucked. Um, yeah, one of the rare instances in which the teleporter just had a, um, in transporter in Star Trek parlance, just had a random, hey, you know what, this thing messes up from time to time. Yeah, so that dude just, you know, is gone. But, you know, and again, please, and please people, do not feel the need to go and watch that movie. No one should ever feel the need to go and watch what, Star Trek The Star Motion Trek. Picture. The motion picture. Oh, yes. my God. Horrible. If you feel like you need to watch more 2001, A Space Odyssey, but in a worse version and watching all brown colors and brown sets uh, and you want to fall asleep very quickly, uh, rolling your eyes at William Shatner's dialogue, then watch it. Yeah, and I have to be honest, it, it's fresh in my mind only because, and I believe our, our listeners know that I, I live in Florida, and I was recently over at... Uh, Disney Hollywood Studios, and inside the Great Movie Ride lobby, they have the costumes from the Star Trek, the original motion picture with William Shatner's costume, Leonard Nimoy's. And all I can think is, of all the movies that you want to remind people of before they go on this ride, you pick Star Trek, the motion picture. See, apparently we're at another impasse because, you know, yeah, we're, we're a Florida show. We, we, we love that fact because so much of this information comes out of California instead of here in Florida. But you're talking about Disney's Hollywood Studios at the Great Movie Ride. And can I tell you an embarrassing story? I'm going to anyway, so just say yes. Yes. Last month, I held up that entire queue because I was taking pictures of those uniform costumes. The people behind me walked past me and got so mad when I cut in front of them again. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm catching up to the rest of my party. 
I could just hear the look. I mean, just hear the yelling that was happening in their heads. Of, well, stop taking pictures of those crappy Star Trek uniforms. Uh, I really did. I held up the entire line taking pictures of those. So, um, yeah. those people had a point, you know. <laughs> they were they they are the worst Star Trek uniforms ever. But okay, so I'll get off of teleportation. We know that we can teleport things. It's just a matter of time before we can um, do that. And then we have to ask questions like. Were religions right? Uh, I don't even want to touch that topic. But, you know, if you believe in a soul and that soul is not just uh, a biological part of you or not just quantum information at the universal level, then we've got some reckoning we need to do uh, to figure out if it's okay to teleport a person or not, right? How long did it take for some cultures to be willing to have their their um, photograph taken? And sure. now we're talking about literally dematerializing you and, quote-unquote, killing you where you're at and making a new you somewhere else, is that really you? Um, and then if we have that information pattern, right, the buffer in Star Trek, they always talk about the transporter buffer, why couldn't we just use that, use a little bit of extra material and make another you? And that brings up the next one on my list. Perfect. Which, of course, switching over to Star Wars now, I guess, for a moment, clones. And oh. obviously some people are thinking about a furry little sheep uh, in Scotland somewhere Dolly. right Dolly. <laughs> oh, Dolly's long dead. You know, we're getting there, folks. The idea of cloning is not, I mean, now is it going to be Star Wars cloning with perfect replicas that then you can accelerate the growth of? Probably not. But the idea of, you know, artificial duplication of a being is obviously something that, while frowned upon in, in the U.S., at least by the government, to be worked on. Uh, there are scientists working on it, folks. It's it's happening. Cloning, the idea of cloning is, is not so far-fetched. Um, no, it's, it's not. And um, if anybody is, I, I think this was across National Geographic and PBS and NPR and all the sort of information types of outlets here in the United States, there's been talk in the past year of highlighting researchers that are looking at cloning to resurrect some of the species that we've lost, right? Yeah, we all know we want to resurrect dinosaurs, but you know that's still in the movies. We can't use a DNA sample that old, uh, at least not yet. Um, mastodons, woolly mammoth, that type of thing, maybe. We're not really getting good DNA samples, but species that we've lost, like certain types of pigeons in the American Midwest that used to completely block out the sky, right? They are extinct, and that's happened in the past 100, 150 years. Uh, there's serious uh, scientific talk about returning those pigeons to the American plains uh, and cloning other extinct species um, like oryx, where we get cattle from, right? The species that we pretty much domesticated out of existence a very long time ago, um, where cows come from, they're called oryx, and getting some of those back. Uh, that one's a little bit of a slippery slope, though, because we, we, well, we haven't, but the human beings have tried that because, um, Christopher, are you familiar with who tried to breed certain cattle back into aurochs? I'm not, no, actually, I'm not familiar with who attempted that. Wasn't the same guy that did that horror movie about the human centipede, was oh, it? Oh, they sure did a horror movie. They were the Nazis. Ah. The problem is you cannot... Everybody's fun and happy bunch to have in a sci-fi show. Right. right. No, hey, this is why we put Nazis in video games, so you don't feel bad about killing the enemy, right? Uh, but no, they did They did try to breed certain uh, cattle back into Oryx. You, you can't do it through breeding. Um, they're that differentiated. But through cloning, 
we could. And and so definitely, I think um, I heard a report that a, a, a child born in the year 2000 is likely to see a woolly mammoth in a zoo before they die if cloning continues at the pace that it has been progressing over the past couple of decades. So you're saying it's taking a little too long. Um, I don't think it's taking too long. I mean, I'd love to see the woolly mammoth myself, but, um, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of questions of whether we should do it or not. Oh, there's definitely an ethical dilemma about cloning, no doubt, which is one of the reasons why it's probably progressing at the rate it is because so many scientists won't experiment in that area. Well, I'm not saying this for kicks. I, I truly mean this, and I may regret saying it publicly at some point. I don't know. But I would love to taste what a Tyrannosaurus rex a stegosaurus and a couple of other dinosaurs that I have a specific list in my mind of. I, I want to know what they taste like. I want to know what a stegosaurus steak tastes like. And, um, I mean, that seems like, you know, you're saying that, or I'm saying that as a zinger, but I, I really truly mean that. I would think they would taste like alligator. You know, I don't know. And that, I, you know, it's that curiosity. Um, I don't see them tasting like chicken. I, I think they would taste more like, like a lizard of some kind. And the closest to get to that maybe would be an well, amphibian. Well, certainly wouldn't be a chicken because, of course, you know, um, the feathered dinosaurs later evolved into birds. So chicken, uh, they taste like a chicken's great, 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 great grandfather. Mm. And on that note, we'll move on because now we're just <laughs> getting into food and I'm getting hungry. So mm. uh, the next one I'm going to bring up. Uh, cryonic suspension, okay, the, the idea of reanimating someone. Uh, and I know people think that reanimating, you know, a, a preserved brain will something be possible using molecular nanotechnology or something like that. However, the problem with this assumption is the idea that the brain would need to be, and, and the body as well, obviously, would need to be perfectly preserved. Mm-hmm. So here's the issue, though. Virtually every attempt at, at cryonic preservation that has been done to date, no matter how sophisticated your chiroprotectants and everything else, every time somebody's tried to do this with, with animals and whatnot, the brain has undergone fracturing during the freezing process. So no one's actually been able to figure out the way to perfectly, quote-unquote, freeze a person in order to see if you can reanimate them anyway. Yeah, so, and that's the difficulty. I mean, it's, it's not just the brain either. It's the cell walls. When you freeze you water, right, yeah, when you freeze water, it's going to expand, and it gets rigid, and it's going to cut, right? So at the cellular level, you're going to get cells that are going to tear because of the freezing of water within that cell. Um, we're either going to have to find a way um, to replace every bit of water in your body, uh, with something else, or I, I don't know, a, a doctor could probably give a better list than I could. They certainly could. But, um, yeah, that's a big problem. We, How do you change the physical properties of water? And uh, that's just a that's a tough challenge. It's a two-step process. you got to freeze them, and then you got to defrost them. And you just nobody's figured out step one yet. So, uh, again, it's something that very cool Captain America. Uh, what was that movie Stallone did with Wesley Snipes? Demolition Man. Uh, you know, there, there's been quite a few freeze them. You know, everybody thinks Walt Disney froze himself. No. You know, come back to life later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's just one of those things, you know, you know the whole idea of cryogenic freezing. Uh, sci-fi, and, but people are trying it. They're working on it. But I don't see any real progress being made because they just can't get past, like you said, the fact that 
you know, the properties of water. And that's what the human body is made of. So. Yeah. I heard a story once where Michael Eisner, who was the CEO of Disney a while back, actually was propagating that story, um, even though he knew better. And from what I from what I hear, um, uh, Walt Disney's daughter, Diane um, Disney Miller, apparently called him up and said, seriously, what you know, what is wrong with you? You know better. You know where he's buried. <laughs> um, so... I don't know. That's all hearsay, but um, ready for my next one here? Sure. I'm going to make this one short and sweet. Commercial space flight. Think about okay. 2001, a space odyssey, right? You got airlines going out to the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. I, I used to subscribe to newsletters, like physical print mail newsletters in the 90s from travel companies that promised commercial space flights by 1999. But here we are waiting on Virgin Galactic, SpaceX, Orbital Sciences. I mean, hell, even Boeing and Honeywell, they've been launching the Air Force out into um, uh, low Earth orbit for decades now. But we don't have commercial space flight. So um, that one we know is going to happen. It's imminent. We just don't have it yet. Well, I think there's two, two issues there, obviously. One is the fact that, you know, the cost associated with it still. Um, you know, if you have enough money, you can probably get a spot on that Virgin one when it goes up. But, uh, and I think the other issue, uh, unfortunately, and something we've talked about in the past a, a little bit, is after the Challenger disaster, um, it essentially really set back the development of our space program uh, in a big way. And then obviously, for uh, financial and fiscal reasons, our space program has been set back, grounded, if you will, uh, in a big way. And all those things, you know, if, if the program's not developing and not being given a chance to grow, uh, you're not going to get to those things like commercial space flight. But again, you know, it, really it will happen. It's just a matter of dollars and cents, so to speak. Yeah, words, and if you, will. you know, the more we do privatize, the less I mind NASA's decision to do what they did because I do see a lot of um, – push towards um, deeper space flight, going to Mars, returning to the moon. And you know what? I think from a government agency, um, I think that's so much more important, right? The private sector, love them or hate them, they can figure out commercial space flight now. Yeah, um, like they'll a, get it done. Yeah, so I mean, I, I listen, I, I was heartbroken when NASA uh, said, you know what, we're not doing the shuttle thing anymore and we're not making any more shuttles, we're not making a new version of them. I, 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 like, I was like a lot of people, especially as, as a kid watching those launches here in Florida, um, stepping out from the classrooms when I was at school to watch them. It, it broke my heart in an almost literal sense of, um, of you felt your chest sink, not in a literal heart breaking, but the literal you feel your chest sink. You feel that, that um, sinking feeling. Um, but you know, the more time goes on, the more they talk about Orion and, uh, going out to Mars, I get a little bit excited again. So it's only a matter of time. All right. Now I'm going to pull out the big gun and this is going to depress quite a few people that listen to our show. I have uh, Kleenex ready for everyone. Cause it's not going to happen folks. I know you want it. I know how badly you all want it. The lightsaber. I, I, know, I know people want it. And I'm talking about a real I'm not talking about a handheld laser here. I disagree. Um, I, I, I'm going to put this up front. I think a lightsaber will happen. First engineering challenge, right? Okay. So you, you, you say it's going to happen. First engineering challenge, right? How do you stop a beam of light about two feet from the source? Light does not work that way unless there's something to obstruct it or absorb it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, oh no, and you oh you wanted you wanted me to answer that? I, I thought you were gonna answer each point, but oh, I'll just no, no, points. no, just give me all the points. Okay, so that's number one. All right. Again, beam of light that comes out of a handle will stop about two feet away from the source. Light doesn't work that way. There's nothing obstructing it. There's no cap on it or anything like that. It just stops. Okay, it doesn't mm-hmm. keep traveling. Mm-hmm. Light does not work that way. Number two, a highly concentrated beam of light would not be able to cut through materials yet face resistance when striking another beam of light. It can't do both, folks. It can't cut through everything. But when another lightsaber, beam of light, hits it, it suddenly snaps into it and, and can't cut through that. So that is why, as cool as it would be, we're just going to have to settle for the replicas that they sell at stores nationwide right now. You, I allow uh, you now to rebut. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit of a jerk about this one. I figured you would be. I, I, I guess in order to fully understand how Star Wars got the lightsaber correct, you really have to be one of us more intelligent Star Trek fans. No yelling, no screaming, no punching yet? No, no, no. Okay. I'm you okay. So all, jo- all joking aside. Um, when we talk about the containment of light, right? this is what we're working on in holography right now. Trying to say, how can we get a projection going in open space instead of having to put it in a near vacuum or a container of noble gases. So if we have holographic projection, um, and if we can get to the point to where we can do that in a natural um, earth atmosphere, then yeah, we, we if we just take the light portion of it, we should be able to stop it at some point. So if true holography in an open air earth environment is possible, uh, and it, it should be, if we can get to that point, great. And so Currently, there's a couple of examples of using sound waves and x-rays and a couple of other things to kind of get photons to do what we want them to. So I think we're in the bare infancy of that science. The other thing is why I'm joking about Star Trek being the answer is if you look at a lightsaber, um, more than anything, that technology is connected to the holodeck of Star Trek. What's happening supposedly from the creators of Star Trek in a holodeck, they came up with this fanciful explanation of, well, we use photons, but we contain them within a force field, right? And, right. Substitute force field for whatever that thing is that will contain holographs. But can you get that photon? This is uh, We're kind of transitioning into the second issue now. Can you get those photons to have... Um, the feeling of mass is essentially what you need here. And with that Higgs boson research that I mentioned before, I, I do think there is some evidence that we could find out there. I'm not very well versed on it, and I want to make that abundantly clear. But I do think there is some communication of the fact that could we take a photon or the thing that is wrapping these photons, to speak colloquially, holding them in, could we add the effect of mass on that. And if so, then of course what we would have is if you have the photon and you have this, well, again, we'll use Star Trek terms, the force field holding it in, making this holographic projection of it, then why couldn't you use that with enough resistance, enough force, enough whatever to slice through something? And then if you do have two of these things that are equal, of course they would they would receive opposition when they touch each other. So that would kind of take care of those issues. Now, even the things I'm talking about, uh, as the answer for this are very sci-fi 
at the moment, but I do think we are the in the infancy of research to be able to do these things. There is a lot of work going on with how to manipulate photons. Um, the quote-unquote tractor beam that you can look up, that, that the first uh, form of tractor beam, I think they were using sound um, to control uh, photons or a couple of other things. Uh, th- th- there are ways to accomplish some of these. We've just got a heck of a long way to go before we can turn it into a weapon or into something like the holodeck. I still don't think it's happening. <laughs> you know what the great thing is? You and I, behind the scenes, we have a bet about the 2016 presidential election that we won't go into because it has nothing to do with the show. Um, we, we wagered, what, a penny or a dollar? Just of who, who would make it to the actual ticket. Um, in this case, uh, we could wager billions of dollars as long as it's between us and we don't make it, you know, passed down to our children and whatever because we won't be around to see it. If it does or doesn't, we we most sure. likely won't ever know. Well, and that's always one of the caveats when you talk about future technology. Will you, will you be around to see it? And again, I'm sure somebody watching Star Trek said, I'll never live to see, you know, something like the communicator. But now we have it. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and actually you mentioned it. The last item on my list uh, was the holodeck. Oh, I'm glad I stole it from you then because you 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 were uh, – you were uh, trying to bash your own favor there of Star Wars. You know, but I, I think I, I would just mention Holodeck and I would just let you run with it because obviously you're much bigger fan of the Holodeck than I am. So. Well, well, what I'll say there is everything I said before, but AMD and Microsoft have been working on, on something that's very similar to a modern equivalent of a Holodeck. It has a lot of projections and you can play video games in it. Um, they do that for testing, game testing, and they do that for immersion studies and whatnot from what I understand. Um I, I think it's possible. You you think that's possible in the long run? You know, I, I think you know variations on the holodeck idea are definitely possible. Um, if it's going, is it going to be the way it's been portrayed on TV, where you know your clothes and 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 your total surroundings, or is it just going to be something where it's more or less uh, almost like a virtual reality situation? I don't know, but uh, it'd be pretty sweet, I must say, to be able to do that. But I do think with you know the idea of a virtual reality holodeck is something that I definitely see happening at some point and probably not in the, the, the way distant future, to be honest. Absolutely. So that was your last one, right? I have one more. Okay. Uh, I, I had six originally. I crossed one out because it's a black hole research, and I think we kind of covered, you know, we don't have faster-than-light travel. We're, we're barely leaving our solar system now with the Voyager probe. So, yeah, we know we haven't done much research except for theoretical on uh, black holes. Uh, the last one I have uh, for real, then, is uh, verbal computing. And I know we have Cortana, we have Siri, we have Google Now, we have Alexa, which is, you know, uh, the Amazon Echo uh, name that they give it. Um, Long story short, if you're a nerd like me, um, Amazon bought Alexa, which is a web ranking service, many, many moons ago. And uh, they've kind of recycled the name. And so now if you talk to an Amazon Echo tower, that cylindrical little tower, um, you can call it Alexa. So they've kind of, and they have their branding there. But if we look at sci-fi, Isaac Asimov, uh, things like uh, The Brain from his uh, from his work called Escape. Uh, if we look at Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek, we have Elkars. It talks to us. If we have Arthur C. Clarke's How 9000, what better example than verbal computing than something like HAL 9000. Uh, in more modern times, the Red Queen from Resident Evil, uh, Jarvis from um, Iron Man, 
these type of examples, we, we can do some limited communication with our devices, but they don't contextually get what we're talking about. Right? They have to be pre-programmed for that. So I think this age of verbal computing will definitely happen over the next couple of decades. I'm a big believer that with the Internet of Things and the increased mobilization uh, and the reliance upon cloud computing, that we'll get into what, I don't know, we'll call the audio web or something like that. Uh, I don't want to coin a cheesy term and you know like we did in the 90s and now we have all these funky terms floating around that don't make any sense. But verbal computing is the thing I think that is absolutely most imminent on my list because we see early forms of it. We're just not quite there. No, we're not. And, and, and again, I want to, I feel like we really could have taken this show and probably done like a three parter out of some of these technologies. Cause there's so much more, especially the ones that are possible. And it's just a matter of how, you know, again, time, effort and discovery is what's going to lead to them happening. So this has been just a great topic. And uh, who knows, maybe in a couple of years we need to revisit and see how much closer we are to some of these technologies being a reality. Absolutely. Let's put that on our calendars and we'll revisit and uh, see where we go from there. Um, you know, for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us today. We know your time is valuable and, and it really means so much uh, to us that you choose to spend it with us for what little bit we're together each week. Uh, so let me go ahead and, and hit this conclusion here and say uh, on behalf of myself and all of us at Multi New Media, uh, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, take care. <laughs>